Well, uh, good morning and uh, welcome to Genesis Church. My name is Paul Muma. I'm the lead uh, pastor here, and I think I could sh- should sh- just kind of say that uh, happy uh, NFL Sunday, right? Uh, we're all uh, excited about the day. I know that many of you think that this kind of opening Sunday ought to be like a national holiday uh, of sorts, and if you're new to Genesis today, you see that it's kind of okay to wear your colors uh, here on Sundays and just kind of looking around the room. I know we got plenty of Colts fans, and so we got a lot of blue uh, going on. I see some Packers fans, the kind of hiding, not sort of hiding over here. Uh, to my left, do we have any other colors represented in the room today? Anybody else brave enough? Well, we got some Broncos uh, back there in the back. And what are you, what are you wearing, Andy? LSU Tigers, a little college football uh, in the back of the room. I grew up, I'm sad to say this, I'm ashamed to say this, a Raiders fan. Uh, yeah, my, my dad grew up in Oakland, and uh, well, he grew up uh, in, in kind of a day where Oakland was just great when it came to football. I quickly figured out as I got into my teens that this is a horrible franchise. Like, I, I want nothing to do uh, with the Oakland Raiders anymore, so I, I don't root uh, for those Raiders, but I'm always just kind of curious to see what teams are going to be represented uh, here on a Sunday morning. I mean, we all know this, many of you. I mean, today, millions of people uh, are going to tune in and watch football games. You're going to watch the Colts game at, at 1 o'clock today, and you're going to scream. Uh, we'll cheer. We'll, we'll criticize. You might throw something uh, at some point or another in your house, and there's going to be a lot of second-guessing of players and of coaches and of refs uh, and of office uh, personnel. And today, uh, there are going to be people who are going to be calling for others to be benched. You're going to be calling for people to be removed from the team. You're going to be making fantasy changes uh, late this afternoon as you think about upcoming weeks. And all of us are going to want to know, when will the Patriots be fined again? All right, and When's that next fine uh, going to come along? But why, why do we do this? Why do we care so much? Well, I think so much of it, uh, so much of it, it just happens to do with the fact that, you know, for these players and for their teams, uh, there's such a big stage, you know, and, and we get to watch and we get to watch with a, a critical eye. And uh, we know that there are so many people uh, watching along with us. But have, have you ever thought about how, if you're a Christian, if you, if you call yourself a Christian or maybe if you attend church regularly, uh, that people are watching you too? Uh, people are watching you. They're making judgments about you and your life, the things that you say, the way that you act, the way that you treat others. They're watching you uh, to see how you lead your family right now. Uh, if you call yourself a Christian and, and people know that about you, they're, they're watching to see how you treat your coworkers and uh, maybe how you're acting on your campus right now, how you treat other students around you, maybe even those students that, that you, you don't agree with. They're watching and, and waiting, many of them, to, they're waiting for us to screw up, uh, for us to mess up and so they can say, you know, hey, once again, just proves once again that you're a hypocrite, just, just like the rest of those so-called Christians. But I want to encourage you today and I want to remind you, I, I, don't, I don't want you to give up. I want to encourage you not to give up. In fact, the writer of Hebrews reminds us of how important it is that we stay the course in our life and in our living. In Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verse 1, the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, he says, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And here's what he, he, he tells us to do. Here, here's the command. Here's kind of the mission uh, that he gives for us in our lives. And he says, Let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Notice that he uses an athletic analogy. He says, I want you to run the race. If you don't like running, just kind of bear with me. But he says, run the race. He says, have faith. He says, man, I I want you to be courageous. I want you in every aspect of your life to trust God and to, to live boldly for him in this world. And he says, I want you to run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. What is that race that is marked out for us? 
What's the purpose of our lives as followers of Jesus? He goes on to say in the very next verse, it's right in that first phrase, he says, I want you to fix your eyes on Jesus. He says, here's what we got to do. Here's what we're supposed to do. We're going to fix our eyes on Jesus because he is the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. And he goes on to say, for the joy set before him. What did Jesus do? He endured the cross. He scorned its shame. And he sat down as a way of saying, it is finished at the right hand of God. Man, he just calls out. He reminds us that Jesus is our example. Jesus is our example. And because he finished the race, we should look to him. Because he lived a perfect life on the earth, we must fix our eyes on him. Here's the thing, Genesis. Here, here's what we want to see today and all throughout this series. Our goal, our aim as followers of Jesus is to look to him and to pattern our lives after him in everything that we do. And that just means for you, that means for some of you here today, that if you're a student right now, and as you think about what your life looks like and the decisions that you make on your college campus or in your dorm or at that party on a Friday night, your goal, your aim is to fix your eyes on Jesus and to live as Jesus would. If you're single right now and, uh, you know, you're just trying to figure out what life looks like on your own, paying the bills, working a job, looking at, thinking about the future, you fix your eyes on Jesus as the model and as the pattern for life. If you're married, you know, and, and trying to walk through life as a married person and, and with a family. We fix our eyes on Jesus. We look to him as our model and as our pattern for life. Now, the Apostle John was one of the first men to, to start following Jesus, and he followed him all the way to the cross uh, and gave his life sharing the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus with others. And he paints a, a picture, too, of what it means to call yourself a Christian uh, with these words. In 1 John uh, chapter 2, verse 5, he says, this is how we know we are in him. Paul, or John says, hey, you want a great indicator of whether you're doing it right? You want an indicator of what it means to, to, to call yourself a Christian? I mean, he's getting into the heart of it and you know, saying, hey, it's not just about going to church, all right? It's not just about saying you're a Christian or putting a fish on the back of your vehicle. John says, hey, here, here's, the, here's the goal, here's the aim for us as followers of Christ. If we're going to say we're in Jesus, he says, hey, here's what we do. He says, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus walked. John says, this is how your faith will be proven as genuine and authentic. John says, you want to prove yourself legit? Man, friends, I want to tell you that there is a world right now waiting for Christians to prove that their faith is legit. And John says, here's how we do that. We look at Jesus. Like the writer of Hebrews, John holds up the earthly life of Jesus as someone to be imitated. He points to Jesus as our model for life and ministry. Here's the thing for us. We can't say this enough. We're going to say it over and over again. As followers of Jesus, as Christians for Genesis Church, we're commanded to walk as Jesus walked. We are to pattern our lives after his life. Now, Maybe you hear something like that. If you're like me, maybe one of the first questions uh, that you want to ask, an immediate question for you is, okay, um, I hear it, but, but how can I walk as Jesus walked, all right? He, he's the son of God, all right, and I'm not. And so how do I pull something like that off? Well, that's a great question, and I think it's a, it's a common one too. And, and why is it difficult for us to imagine walking as Jesus walked? Well, here's part of the reason that I believe. You know, as we, as we read scriptures, we think about the things that we've learned, you know, growing up in church, or maybe if you're new to church, some of the things that you've learned about Jesus. Here, here's part of the challenge that I see. You know, we, we typically see Jesus uh, in at least three forms. 
all right? The, the, the first form, now hang with me, is the pre-incarnate Christ, all right? The pre-incarnate Christ, this is a picture of Christ before conception, all right? This is a picture of Christ before he walked on the earth. John writes this in his gospel in John chapter 1. He says, uh, in the beginning was the Word, all right? He's talking about Jesus. He says, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, all right, in the beginning. He says, through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. Again, that's a picture of the pre-incarnate Christ. He is the one has, who has always been. He is the eternal one, eternal with the Father and eternal with the Holy Spirit. But second, we also read about, we study the incarnate Christ. The incarnate Christ is the man, all right? The incarnate Christ is the baby who became a teen, who became a young man, all right? He is Jesus who walked the earth. We're going to talk a lot about the incarnate Christ over the next eight weeks in this series. But finally, there, there's even a third form that we often see Jesus in, and this is the glorified Christ, all right? He's the one who rose from the dead and ascended into heaven and is seated today at the right hand of the Father. He's the head of the church. He's the one that intercedes on our behalf. He's the one that will come again, and we can have a relationship with him right now. Now, here's an important distinction that we have to make as we consider these three forms. We're never told to do what the pre-incarnate Christ did. And at the same time, we're never told to model the glorified Christ. But what we are told to do is to follow the example of Christ incarnate, the one who walked the earth in first century Palestine. And the only way I believe to truly walk as Jesus walked is to understand the real Jesus, to look to this one who walked on this earth. Now, two important things that you need to know as we study uh, the life of Jesus together, as we start this study today. The first is this, Jesus was fully God, all right? But let there be no doubt, Jesus was fully God, and he claimed these things. He, he claimed to be equal with his Father. Like in John 10, 30, Jesus said, I and the Father are one, all right? We are one. We are one together. In John 14, 9, he says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father, all right? And so Jesus made these claims. Now, the Apostle Paul also understood Jesus to be God. Uh, in his letter to the Philippians, he wrote in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, he, he says, your attitude uh, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who what? Who being in very nature God. And Paul's letter uh, to the church at Colossus uh, provides even more clarity, like in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, where Paul writes, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And so Jesus claimed to be equal with his Father. The Bible shows us, too, that Jesus was fully God. But here's where it gets interesting, all right? And here's where we're going to be challenged together. Here's where we're going to have our minds stretched together over these next eight weeks. While Jesus and all of Scripture teaches that Jesus was fully God, it also shows us that he was fully human for us, too, right? That not only was he fully God, but he became fully human for us, too. Now, here's a, a fancy, deep theological term for you if you like that sort of thing. This is uh, often referred to as the hypostatic union. Uh, it's a technical term used to describe Christ's divinity, you know, the union of Christ's divinity as fully God and as fully man. It's like what the writer of Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 says for us. He says, for this reason, he, talking about Jesus, had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Man, I, I just want you to see, and what I hope you'll see over these next weeks together is if you study the life uh, of Jesus, of the human Jesus, you're going to see that he experienced emotions and sensations. 
Uh, we're going to see, we're going to be reminded that he was conceived by and born to an ordinary woman. Uh, Luke shows us how he grew in wisdom and stature. We see and we know that he became hungry and tired, that, that, that he was thirsty, that, that he needed sleep, that he experienced sorrow and grief in his life. And when a close friend died, what did John record? It records that Jesus wept, that he wept for his friend who was lost. And even as he went to the cross, we see evidence, too, of his humanity in knowing that he was flogged and whipped and nailed to a cross and a spear was run through him. Uh, his body was bloodied and bruised, and he died and was buried. And Hebrews 2.14 says that since the children have flesh and blood, again, what did Jesus do? He, too, shared in their humanity so that by his death he may, might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. Man, these words remind us that he was just like us, that he became a human being, a real human being for us. And one of the things that makes this most important is found in these next words in Hebrews 4.15 where we understand that we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. And we, we're going to be encouraged these next weeks, eight weeks together, as we see that Jesus was just like us, that he was just like you, that he faced trials and temptations that he was tired and hungry and thirsty, even angry. But what made him unique? He never sinned. He was sinless. He was without sin. He had no sin in his life. And why did he become fully human for us? Well, for one thing, our salvation demanded it. All right, we see that in these words. I mean, Jesus lived a perfect life with no sin so that he could atone for your sin and atone for my sin. But what I want to challenge you to see over the course of this series is this, that we can praise him as our savior for the price that he paid on the cross. And that's most important, all right? And we shouldn't miss that. And we should do that. We should praise him for that reason. But I also think there is something else to gain too. Because Jesus took on flesh and blood for us and walked on this earth, we can look to him. You can look to him and pattern your life after him. I mean, because he became fully human for us, we can walk as Jesus walked. Now, I know that's a lot to think about and a lot to process. And maybe there are already all sorts of questions coming to your mind, thinking about Jesus as fully God and thinking about Jesus as fully man. I mean, I, I've found that most of us do okay with the Jesus uh, as fully God part, but it's the fully human part that's going to play some tricks with your mind. It's the fully human part that's going to raise some questions for you because right away we want to know, I mean, how can Jesus be fully God and yet be fully human and walk this earth at the very same time? Well, the Apostle Paul offers a, a glimpse of the solution to that problem. Back to Philippians 2, uh, verses, uh, starting in verse 5 again, he says, you know, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now, now here's what we want to get to. Here, here's part of that solution, verse 6. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. But here's what he did. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human and likeness. Now, also translated as emptied himself, what we see is that Jesus voluntarily chose to become like one of us. He became fully human for us, but he did so in such a way that he preserved his own deity. Now, 
this question, uh, this challenge isn't anything new to us. It's not just something that we're coming up with here at Genesis. I mean, theologians way back in 451 A.D. gathered at a, a pretty popular gathering or meeting. It was called the Council of Chalcedon. Heard it was quite a party. I mean, really just quite an event. But, but at this particular event, they struggled to articulate really how this could work. I mean, how Jesus could be both fully God and fully man at the same time. And after much study and discussion and prayer, they stated that Jesus decided in eternity past that when he added humanity to his deity, that he would veil his deity so that his humanity could find full expression on the earth. Now, let me say that again. When he came to earth, Jesus veiled his deity so that he could become fully human for us. Uh, one, one popular theologian, Charles Ryrie, says it like this. He says, never less than God, he chose to live his life never more than man. Never less than God, he chose to live his life never more than man. It really is, as someone once said, a profound mystery. It really is this profound mystery that Jesus can be fully God and fully man, but that's what he did for us. He, he, he became like us in every way, yet did not sin. He became like us in every way so that he could pay the price for sin. He became human for us so that he could understand and empathize with our weaknesses. And he did it so that he could pay the price for sin, but he did it so that he could show us how to live. He became human for us so that we could walk as Jesus walked too. And that's why we're calling this series uh, The Son of Man. Uh, th this title, The Son of Man, is used of Jesus over 81 times in the Gospels. And while the full meaning of the title embraces his exalted role as our Redeemer, it really emphasizes his humanity as one who was born of a virgin and grew up to walk on the face of the earth. Over the next eight weeks, what I want to do, what I want us to do is we want to take a, a step back and just uh, take a, a, a look, a, a fresh look, maybe a new look at this real Jesus. And one of the things that I've been learning in my studies is that you can't get to know the real Jesus unless you study both his deity and his humanity. And we spend, uh, we tend to spend a lot of time studying the deity of Jesus, as important as that is. But what we want to do throughout the course of this series is see him in his humanity too. And so I want to challenge you to hang in there with us for these eight weeks. Uh, I, I want to challenge you to make a commitment, maybe starting today. If you know what, I'm going to make every effort I can to be here throughout the course of this series. Don't, don't let a football game uh, prevent you from being here. And if you're going to hit the one o'clock game in Indianapolis, great. That's what we've got the 930 service for. We'll get you out on time uh, so that you can get there. And if you got a miss, you can follow along in the podcast. If you're uh, joining one of our connection groups, there's a really good chance they're going to discuss uh, and process some of these things too. I, I hope you'll take a number of these verses that we've been sharing and, and, and read them for yourself. But here's what we're going to see. And here's what we're going to discover about Jesus along the way. This is in your notes. Uh, number one, here's what we want to see and discover about Jesus along the way. Number one, that Jesus did not dip into his deity to live out his humanity. All right, Hebrews 2 says that Jesus was made to be like us in every way. And that means that he chose not to express his deity on earth. And because if he had, well, then he wouldn't be like us in every way, would he? He couldn't be like us in every way. He would not have been fully human. He, he'd be more like a superhuman, right? He'd be more like a, a superman. A, a friend of mine kind of explains it like this. Do you remember 
I'm sure many of you have one of these today, unless you're a diehard Dave Ramsey uh, person, which in our home we are, but I still have a credit card and uh, use it periodically. But I remember when I got my first credit card, if you remember when you got yours the first time, um, I, I, my parents got it for me when I went off to college, and, and here's how they explained it. Here's how they handed it over to me. This is for emergency only, right? All right, in my case, it was for emergencies only. It wasn't to be used at Taco Bell at 11 o'clock at night or, you know, you know for, for this or that or whatever, but it, my credit card was for emergency purposes only. We, we kind of sort of treat it uh, like that today, too. But uh, a friend of mine explains it like this. Imagine Jesus coming to, an, to earth and having a God card of his own. All right, a God card that represents his uh, identity, represents the fact that he is fully God, all right, that this is deity coming to earth. But can you imagine a Jesus that while he had this God card in his possession, made a decision in eternity past that he would not play his God card or use his God card right here on the earth. Now, if you've been around church, or theology, you might have a difficult time getting your mind around this. I mean, right away it raises some questions. Uh, it raises questions like, okay, wait a second, God's all-knowing. Uh, we sometimes use the word omniscient, all right? And so if God's all-knowing, if Jesus is God, doesn't that mean that Jesus is all-knowing too? I mean, what, what was the human Jesus all-knowing? Well, Scripture tends to indicate, seems to indicate that he was not. Look at a few examples, like in Matthew 24, 36, where they're having a conversation about when uh, the Christ would return. And Jesus responded, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but who knows? Only the Father. Or how about in Luke 8, 45, when Jesus was amongst a, a crowd of people, and there's a woman that's going to reach out and grab his robe, and this power is going to be released from Jesus in that moment. And Luke records that Jesus responded, who touched me? Jesus asked, when they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. Even in this moment, Jesus didn't appear to know who it was that touched him. Or Luke records in Luke 2.52, thinking back to the childhood of Jesus, Luke writes, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. I mean, have you ever thought, have you ever stopped to think about that? Have you ever stopped to think about the fact that if he was born a baby, I mean, was he just automatically born with all of this information downloaded and programmed into him? Or did he have to learn these things? Did he have to grow and study just maybe as we do too? I mean, the fact that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man demonstrates that in his humanity, that Jesus didn't know all things automatically, but that he had to learn like we do. And one of the things that I'm going to ask you to consider over these next couple of months is that just as you and I learn, Jesus learned about his Father and his Father's will through things like Scripture and prayer and dependence on the Holy Spirit. How about another one? How about this idea? Well, we know that God is all-powerful. We know that God is omnipotent. Well, so, that, so then Jesus must have been all-powerful too. He must have been omnipotent. But was Jesus able in his humanity to do everything he wanted or needed to? Like look at this example in Mark 6, 5. Jesus was visiting his hometown of Nazareth and Mark records that he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Or what about God's omnipresence? Again, if Jesus is fully God, I mean, can't Jesus be everywhere, the human Jesus be everywhere at all times and see all things? Well, this is true of God, but Jesus in his humanity was not omnipresent. 
I mean, he could only be at one place at one time. I mean, like the time when Jesus was teaching in one town and his close friend Lazarus passed away in another town. And when Jesus later arrived at Lazarus' hometown in Bethany, what did Jesus, or Lazarus' sister say to Jesus? John eleven twenty one. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You see, the human Jesus wasn't omnipresent. That means he had to make decisions. That means as a man, he had to set priorities. That means as a man, he had to make wise use of his time. Do you see the problem? Jesus is fully God and fully man at the same time. We're going to see evidence showing that Jesus did not dip into his humanity to live out his deity. That Jesus didn't use his God card while he walked here on the earth. But maybe you want to push back and say, well, but what about the miracles? I mean, aren't these proof that he used his God card? Well, look at John 5, 19. Jesus gave this answer. He says, very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. You know what these words reveal to me? That Jesus was absolutely, completely dependent on his father in heaven for all things. I mean, as the son of man, he became a conduit of the power of his heavenly father flowing through him. And as he lived his life, he was always giving credit to his father. One teacher of mine, Dan Spader, says it like this. He says, Christ's miracles weren't proof of his deity. Instead, they're a proof of his messiahship. His miracles are proof that he is the Christ sent from his father. But Jesus tells us, even in his own words, that he didn't do anything by his own power. Everything he did was because of the power of his father working through him. And remember this. Remember this. Moses performed miracles. And he's not God. Elijah performed miracles. He's not God. Even the disciples performed miracles, both when they were with Jesus and after Jesus had ascended into heaven. And no one argues that any of them were God. Why is it so important that he did not dip into his deity to live out his humanity while he walked here on the earth? Well, something else we're going to see as we go through this study together is the second thing, and that is that the resources that were available to Jesus are available to you and me too. The same resources that Jesus was drawing from. I mean, even though Jesus never used or played his God card, he did have access to some incredible resources. He's kind of like my next door neighbor. I got this next door neighbor named Jeff, and I love Jeff. And you know why I love Jeff? I love Jeff not only because he's a good person, and he is a good person, but because he has every tool you could ever possibly want, need, or desire. And so that means I don't have to, all right? And, uh, and so he's got a shed, he's got a garage full of tools and resources, and I love Jeff because he trusts me and he lets me use his tools whenever I need them. And if he's really got time, he'll show me how to use them or maybe even do the job for me too, which is even better, but... Uh, in the same way, you know, the Son of Man had access to some incredible resources. And you know what? These same resources are available to you and me too. As we walk, as we live our lives here on the earth, resources like the Holy Spirit. I mean, the Holy Spirit saturated every aspect of Jesus' life. Uh, another resource was prayer. I mean, Jesus relied fully on prayer. Luke 5, 16 says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. I mean, more than 40 times in Scripture, we're going to see Jesus praying. You know, another resource for Jesus that is available to you and me is the Word of God. Uh, on over 90 occasions, you know, Jesus quoted the Old Testament Scriptures. Uh, uh, another resource available to Jesus that's available to you and me are, are relationships. 
Jesus was very intentional about his relationships. In fact, and, and I think we'll see that by the end of this series that this was one of the most important things uh, that Jesus invested in, that the, the time that he gave uh, to his disciples, that he, he was all about making uh, intentional relationships with a relatively few people. Every aspect of Jesus' life was relational. I mean, they were a big part of what it meant to be fully human. And the same is just true for you and me too. I mean, we can love people. We, we can grow in our faith. We can walk as Jesus walked and love people the way that Jesus loved people. We can live by the Spirit like Jesus did. We're going to talk about that next week. We, we, we can pray like Jesus prayed. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. We can use the Bible the very same way that Jesus used the Bible, and we can walk as Jesus walked, and we can love people the way that Jesus loved people. The same resources available to Jesus are available to you and me. And why does that matter? Because again, here's the goal. And we talked about this at the very top. Here's the aim for our series and for our lives and for our church. Number three, Jesus is our model for life and ministry. Jesus must be our model for life and ministry. We must pattern our lives after him in everything that we do. And, and the beauty of Jesus' life is that he modeled for us how to live. He, he modeled for us what a relationship with the Father looks like, what obedience and total dependence really means. Again, the same resources that he was drawing from, we can draw from too. He became like one of us so that we can look to him and learn from him. Again, our ultimate goal is to become like him in all things. And my prayer is that you're going to make it your goal at some point in this series, or by the end, to say, that's my goal, that's my model, that's my aim, is to live as Jesus lived. And here's the thing for us. Because he was fully human, and because the same resources available to Jesus are available to us, because he's our model, and knowing what we know, or what we're, I pray we will know, the last thing is this. I think we tend to underestimate what God wants to do in our lives. I think there's a really good chance that you underestimate what God wants to do in your life. And one thing that I've kind of come to understand as I've undergone just an intentional study of the life and ministry of Jesus over the past year, uh, again, I, th I think this is just something that God continually shows me is that if all of this is true of Jesus, and if these same resources and tools that were available to him are available to me, and how much could God do in my life if I were to be fully surrendered, trusting in him? Now, I'm, I'm no Jesus, all right? And we all know that. I hope we all know that. But again, what could he do in me? I mean, what could he do on my street or in my relationships right now? What, what, what could he do in my time, with my time, my ministry here at Genesis? Uh, how, how could he influence my relationship with my wife and my children? How could he continually grow my heart and my love for him? How could he widen the vision that, that he has for my life so that I can see it, so that I can have that confidence every day that I'm living that, you know what, I'm walking in Christ, that I'm doing what he has called me to do, and that I am satisfied and full of joy in knowing that I am living for him, obedient to him in all things. There is so much to learn from Jesus. But what about you? I mean, do, do you underestimate what God could do or wants to do in your life? Man, do you have any idea what he could do in you?
you have any idea what he could do through you right now at your school or on your campus or in your job or on your street or in your apartment complex, if you were to become fully surrendered to him, trusting in him in all these things, have any idea what he could do with your faith? I know that some of you are here today and you probably say, you know what, I am dying right now on the inside. My, my faith is doing nothing for me, but the difference that it could make to say, you know what, I'm going to look to Jesus and I'm going to start doing what Jesus did and I'm going to live as he has lived and I'm going to give all of the glory to him. Jesus said this in John 14, 12. He says, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these. And how's that for a legacy? How's that for a life of meaning and purpose? That just by walking as Jesus walked, by making his priorities your priorities, we could live more intentionally, making our aim, making our goal to pattern our lives after the real Jesus. Friends, you can live like Jesus. You can walk as Jesus walked. But there's a catch. There, there's one thing that Jesus did that you can't do and I can't do and that is that you can't die for your sins and, and for some of you here today uh, because Jesus already did that because he became human for us and went to the cross and paid the price for your sin and mine you, you've been trying to you've been trying to die for your own sin you've been trying to make or amend for your own sin but you can't do that He's already done that for you. He's already done that for us, and that's part of the reason why we celebrate him. And maybe today is the day that you need to turn that over to him and surrender that to him so that you can walk as Jesus walked. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for uh, sending us a Savior, fully God, with no sin, a man who walked this earth and gave us a pattern, a model for how we can live, a life that is full of obedience, full of dependence, full of purpose and vision and joy. We thank you that Jesus did that for us. And what we're asking, Lord, is that you would open our eyes to see him, open our hearts to believe that we can do what Jesus did that we can have a relationship with you that is like nothing we've ever experienced before and give all of the credit and all of the glory to you with our lives as we are fully and completely dependent on you. God, do, do something special in us. Do something special in our church over these next weeks together as we look to Jesus, as we study Jesus, as we talk about him, as we pray and as we seek your will for our lives, Father. Do something special in each of us. And for some here today, Lord, that's, that's realizing that they've been trying to do it all on their own. That's realizing that they've been trying to make amends for their own sin, for their own past mistakes, Lord. Father, would you show us how? Would you teach us to believe today that you've already taken care of all of that in Jesus? That Jesus paid the price for sin with his life. And the forgiveness is ours. If that's you today, if that describes where you are today, I want you to know that forgiveness 
can be yours by just simply praying, Lord Jesus, take my life. Father, forgive me of my sins today. God, we thank you. We turn our eyes towards you. Will you lead us? Lord, we want to follow you in Jesus' name.